Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The moment we realize I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and we call out to Christ, man, He comes and everything changes at that moment. And He changes you by reconciling you to God, forgiving your sin, taking away that barrier that was there and bringing you into a relationship with God. And it all comes through just a a genuine desire for that to take place. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Mark, chapter 15, verses 16 through 32 in a message titled, The Crucifixion of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Atonement, it pays the penalty for our offenses against God. Now, this is super unpopular today, the idea that we've offended God, but whether it's unpopular or not doesn't really matter. It's true mankind has offended God. We have lived in revolt against his rule over our lives. And that, that has brought us to a place of guilt before God. And that guilt must be punished. So there's a penalty for that. Just like in our experience in life, you know, if you decide to go out and commit a bunch of crimes, there's going to be a consequence to that. You're going to have to pay the penalty for those crimes, depending on what the crimes are. You're going to end up in jail, or you might end up in prison, or you could even end up with the death penalty. That's something we all know is a reality in this world. Well, it transfers beyond this world. It's not just here. And the whole concept of justice and righteousness and all of that is connected back to the God who gave his commandments. And so it was for those offenses against God that Jesus died and thus paid the price, the penalty. And fourthly, his reconciling death, it restores the fellowship we were created to enjoy. Human beings were created to live in a relationship with God. And everybody knows this experientially. Not not everybody understands what it is. But everybody knows that there's just something about life that seems incomplete. Or there's something about life that just seems like, you know, there's something that always goes wrong. There's, you know, you just think like it's, it's the perfect situation and then everything sort of goes south. And this happens over and over and over again. It happens to civilizations. It happens to communities. It happens to families. It happens to people. It's just the way it is. There's always something that wrecks it. There's the spoiler There's like a built-in spoiler to everything. There's a reason for that. It's because of our disconnect from God. We were created to live in a relationship with God. Now, the reconciling death of Jesus restores that. 
So when that's restored, we suddenly discover like, oh my goodness, life is about something completely different than I thought it was. It's about knowing God. It's about having a relationship with him. And that spoiling agent that is there in life is one day going to be completely removed. That's It's sin is what it is. But that will be completely removed. But the sin that separates human beings from God, that's been dealt with. And so the reconciliation has take, taken place. And then finally, with the universal death of Christ, it just reminds us that salvation is possible for everyone. As we read there in that Hebrew passage, that he tasted death for everyone. There's not a single person that's ever lived that is not a candidate to have eternal life. Remember John 3.16, that famous passage, for God so loved the world. Who's the world? Everybody. It's the, the entirety of the population. And so Jesus made salvation possible for everyone. And so this is, is the meaning of Christ's death on the cross. But we could also say that Christ's death was an agonizing and a shameful death. And I want to talk about that for a moment. It was an agonizing and a shameful death. I already described how the Romans adopted crucifixion. The Assyrians invented it uh, centuries before, but the Romans, when they came along, they said, that's a great tool to keep people under control. So they adopted it and actually perfected it as a means of torture. But you could argue that crucifixion is the most painful and shameful form of execution ever devised by man. It's, like I said earlier, it's, its very purpose is to cause as much pain and agony for as prolonged a period of time as possible. Crucifixion wants to keep you alive as long as as it can so you can suffer most intensely. But it's also the most shameful way of dying. It is utterly shameful. And this is something we don't think too much about. But you know, and, and think about Jesus for a moment. People who were crucified were crucified naked. Totally naked. We always see the pictures of Jesus with a loincloth. That's fine. But the reality is, there was no loincloth because the purpose was humiliation, utter and complete humiliation, to completely shame the person. Now, here's the question that I want to address, and I started with it in the beginning. But since that's the case with crucifixion, why would Jesus, why would that be the, I mean, if he has the choice, which of course he does, because this is all part of God's plan to redeem. Nobody said you have to be crucified. Why, why was it crucifixion that he chose? Now, just one other quick word on crucifixion. The Roman statesman Cicero, this is what he said about crucifixion. Listen, he said to bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To kill him is like an act of murder. To crucify him what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. 
So horrible a deed is to crucify a Roman citizen. The very word cross ought to be far removed, not only from the bodies of Roman citizens, but even from their thoughts, their eyes, and their ears. So Cicero says Romans should never be subject to even hearing about crucifixion or seeing it. That's how, how, how horrific it is. But not only was Jesus subjected to it, but he willingly subjected himself to it. Why is that? Well, I think there are at least two reasons. Perhaps there are more, but I'm going to give us two reasons here today. The first is this. Jesus' death on the cross displayed most clearly God's abhorrence of sin and the punishment that sin merits. See, we think lightly of sin. And I think more so today than probably ever in in our society, there is very little serious thinking about sin. It is dismissed as just absolutely, there's no such thing. It's ridiculed, the idea that there's sin. It's mocked. Uh, Sin is flaunted today. Things that people in previous generations were ashamed of and and generally did under the veil of darkness. Uh, You know, today it's just right out in the midday sun. So the attitude towards sin in the culture today is one of just a complete dismissal of the whole idea. But God has not dismissed the idea. And, and we need to understand that. I've just been reading through the law of Moses just as I go through my Bible reading. And I'll tell you, man, especially when you, once you get like halfway through Exodus and you get into the building of the tabernacle and the priesthood and the sacrifices and all that, it's like you just realize that, you, that sin is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's like everything the Israelites, everything that surrounds them is sin. And of course, God provides atonement for sin, but he makes very clear that there, you know, it's almost like breathing is sin. And the point is, what God is seeking to drive home is that we are sinners and we dwell in the midst of sin and sin separates us from him. And there has to be an atonement made for us to reconnect with him. That's really the message of the Mosaic system. That's what it's telling us. Now, Jesus will become the fulfillment of all of those things. But the point that I want to make here is that God takes sin very, very seriously. He takes it as seriously today as he did uh, back at the time of Moses. And the way we know how serious a matter sin is to God is through the cross. Because the Son of God had to die on that cross to pay the penalty for sin. So we don't like to talk about sin, and we certainly don't like to think of ourselves as sinners, but we need to wake up because the reality is we are sinners. And Unless Jesus pays for that sin, and of course he did pay for it on the cross, but unless we appropriate that ourselves to our own lives, then we are still bearing our own sin and we have to bear the consequences of that sin. But the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus bore the penalty. But that's what's happening on the cross. 
So the death of Jesus on the cross was the most vivid display in all of history of the wrath of a holy God against sin. Now, there's many examples in history where God punishes sin. We can go back in the Bible. We can see the flood. Is a, we can begin there. Shortly after the time of the flood, you have the situation with Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you have the judgment upon Egypt. And all, all the way along, you can see these times where God intervenes and he judges sin. But the greatest display of his judgment of sin was on Calvary when Jesus was there upon that cross, dying that brutal death as a sacrifice for sin. The cross testifies to the offensiveness of sin to a holy God. So if we're ever tempted to think that God's okay with sin, let's just remember the cross, because that tells us, no, God is not okay with sin. He allowed his own son to be nailed to a cross so our sins could be forgiven. The second reason, and, I, and this one to me is, is so powerful. In the cross, Jesus was identifying to the fullest extent with a suffering humanity. Now again, remember, Jesus has the option. He can determine He's going to die for the sin of the world. He can determine how he's going to die. Maybe he would choose to die by the sword, by be, be, being beheaded. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real death. Blood is shed, but it's swift. It happens in the blink of an eye, and it's over. But no, Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because he is determined to fully identify with man. Do you remember in the Gospels, maybe you remember when Jesus was baptized, he comes to John the Baptist and he, he's there to be baptized. And John says, what are you doing? I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, permit it to be so, for we must fulfill all righteousness. People have wondered, what did that even mean? Well, you see, here's what it meant. Jesus was not a sinner, but in being baptized, what was he doing? He was identifying with sinners. He was taking the place among sinners. And so with the cross, Jesus is identifying to the fullest extent with a suffering humanity. Now, I don't have to give a big lecture on the fact that mankind has suffered throughout most of history. There are these rare occasions, and we actually have been allowed to live in this time, this season, where although we, of course, all of us suffer in various ways, our suffering has been minimal compared to most people throughout most of history. And even while we've enjoyed relative peace, so I was born after the Second World War, and that sounds like so long ago. Um, the baby boom generation is what they call it. And, you know, from the time of the Second World War to basically today, there's been uh, an unprecedented amount of, of prosperity and peace and, and relative peace, you know, in the United States especially. I'm speaking more specifically about the U.S. here. But, you know, throughout most of my lifetime, I mean, I had to register for the draft when I was a teenager because of the Vietnam War, but that ended the year I graduated from high school. 
and we've had a few things here and there, but relatively speaking, life has been good. But while we have been enjoying life here in our little part of the world, all kinds of people have lived under the most horrific conditions and suffered immensely for a variety of different reasons, and that's still happening right now. So even though we might not be experiencing those levels of suffering, know this, that this is, generally speaking, this experience of mankind. So disease, disaster, injustice, cruelty, torture, heartbreak, death. I mean, this is the, this is the long tail of human history. It's a tale of suffering and woe. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus in his love chose to experience the full impact of what sin had done to the human race. So Jesus is going to identify fully. There's not a single person that could ever say, regardless of the depth of suffering that you have experienced, there's no one that could say, well, Jesus doesn't understand. Oh, he understands. He died by crucifixion, by his own choice. He drank the bitter cup. He had that unimaginable experience. Why? To identify with his suffering people, with his suffering creation. And this to me is, is so powerful because today, of course, people are always, you know, we live in the day where blasphemy is uh, second nature for so many people. Everybody's accusing God. We have a whole industry of, they used to be called the new atheists. They're kind of getting old now, but, but you know, their whole job is to blaspheme God publicly. That's what they do. And if God was a God of love, then he, how could he ever do this? And, you know, they got all of these things they come up with and all these accusations they make against God. But, you know, the fact of the matter is God didn't stand aloof from human suffering. He put himself right in the middle of it. And I love to just remind people of that. See, my God is not a detached God. He's not a God that can't relate. He's not a God who just said, well, you guys suffered too bad. No, he's a God who said, I'm going to suffer with you. And through that suffering, I'm actually going to redeem you. The cross testifies to the immeasurable compassion of the Son of God for suffering sinners. A man named John Stott, I've quoted him many times over the years. He was a great evangelical leader in Britain, was a preacher and so forth, traveled the world. He wrote this, and I've shared it before, but I want to share it again because it's so powerful. He traveled much through the Asian countries, but he wrote this. He said, I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I've had to turn away. And in my imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding with thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. 
He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death. He suffered for us. He suffered as one of us. How powerful. That's the truth. So the cross reminds us of many things. But ultimately, it reminds us of the great love that God has for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. When Jesus said that he gave, he's talking about the cross. That he gave his one and only son. Now, at the end of the portion of scripture that we were reading, not at the end, but somewhere in the middle there, remember, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, they mocked him. The religious leaders mocked him, and they said this. They said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And then they said, if you're really the son of God, come down from that cross, and then we'll believe. He saved others, but he can't save himself. But the truth of the matter is, had he saved himself, he could not have saved anyone else. You see, he could have come down from the cross. He could have said, okay, we're done. I suffered enough. We're finished here. But he didn't do that. What kept Jesus hanging on that cross was not the Romans around him. It wasn't even the weakness in his own body. It was the love of God for us that kept him there. Because by not saving his life, he saved us. And that's the beauty and the glory and the wonder of the gospel. And as we close today, I, I just want to say that, you know, this is the greatest news there ever could be. It's the greatest offer there ever could be. It's the most wonderful thing that's ever happened. But we can be so oblivious to it. We, we can just not even realize it. And yet the moment we realize, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and we call out to Christ, man, he comes and everything changes at that moment. Jesus changed the world. And he changed the world one person at a time. And he can change your world by changing you. And he changes you by reconciling you to God, forgiving your sin, taking away that barrier that was there and bringing you into a relationship with God. And it all comes through just a, a genuine desire for that to take place. Now, how easy is it to, to be saved? It's as easy as whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But of course, the calling on the name of the Lord is a calling in sincerity. The recognition, I need you, Lord, to save me. I'm separated from God. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm, I'm guilty. Now, you might have a hard time imagining how sinful you are. I think we all have a hard time with that. Just take God's word for it. And you don't even have to go the depths of how sinful you are. Just you know that you are a sinner. You know that you don't even live up to your own standard most of the time, let alone the standard that God has set. And that puts us all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. But God's grace brings us the gospel to save us from the penalty and the power of sin to give us life. Now 
let's join Pastor Brian as he shares about this month's resource from Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. I wanted to recommend a book that my wife absolutely loves. It is a book about Gladys Elward. Gladys Elbert was a young woman who went as a missionary to China, and God used her in an extraordinary way. The book is written by Phyllis Thompson, and she is one of Cheryl's favorite authors. So for those of you that might be interested in missionary biographies and the story, especially of how God has used a woman like Gladys, this is a book for you. So I highly recommend A London Sparrow. That's the title of the book, A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Elward by Phyllis Thompson. Again, this month's resource is a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. You can order the book A London Sparrow by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give the gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, A London Sparrow by Phyllis Thompson, to encourage you in God's ability to use you for extraordinary things. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.